you have your Bibles, if you open up the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, where we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going through a series, The Summer on the Mount, and asking the question, what would it look like if we rose above the ordinary to come up on the mountain with Jesus and to see life beyond the ordinary? And I got to tell you, I've really enjoyed the series. I've heard different speakers get up here and talk, the preaching team get up and talk about what it is to really give ourselves to this sermon. When I think of the Sermon on the Mount, usually this kind of a picture comes to my mind. I don't know about you, uh, but this is kind of what I envision. And the reason I envision it is because I have watched one too many Bible movies. Have you seen any Bible movies or have you ever gone on the internet maybe and seen illustrations or pictures of what the Sermon on the Mount looks like? And I think one of the reasons why we have these ideas in our mind is because of actors who portray different pictures in history or different illustrations, maybe in biblical illustrations. This is the power of acting. Sometimes we can get in our minds what something was like even without reading it or knowing about it because we have this idea in our mind of what the actors portray. I think that's one reason why it's really important that we get back to Scripture and read Scripture because sometimes we see in Scripture things that we don't think about that maybe we've seen in television or movies. But that's the power of acting. When I think of actors, I think of people who have the ability to take me places that I have never gone before. I love a great actor. In fact, this is one of my favorite. Denzel Washington, one of my favorite actors of all time. He has the ability, much like great actors do, to take me to places that I wouldn't imagine. Maybe take me and really wrench my heart and cause me to, to even to maybe cry. I wouldn't admit it, but even cry sometimes before, before a performance. Or maybe uh, be inspired and just excited with joy. Actors have the ability to bring us through history and to show us things historically that may be true or may not be true. They can even rewrite history for us because they are so talented and so gifted. It's just the ability of actors. But here's what I want you to know. At the end of the day, regardless of the actor and the portrayal, everything that is done by an actor is 100% fake. It's all a lie. In fact, George Burns worded it this way, and I really like it. Acting is all about honesty. If you can fake that, you've got it made. Because at the end of the day, no matter how good the portrayal is, the actor is not the person that they're portraying. On some level, the portrayal is a lie. On some level. In fact, when I think about Moses... In Charlton Heston, <laughs> I don't know if you knew, Char uh, Monty didn't know this, but Charlton Heston wasn't Moses. I don't know if you'll remember this a while back, he said this. Even as good as Charlton Heston was, when I think about him, I realize that there's some level that this is not true. It's fake. It's fake. And that's the thing about acting. Now, you may not know this, but acting goes all the way back years and years and years, way before Moses, well, at least Charlton Hester Moses, to the Greeks. The Greeks really developed acting as a skill set. And they would wear these masks, and they would go out, and they would portray themselves as different characters. In fact, they, would, they, they coined this phrase where they would put on these masks, and they actually used this phrase to say, 
one hiding behind a mask portraying themselves, and that was what they were referred to as an actor. In fact, if you look at the Greek word, the Greek word there is actor. In fact, when you think about these guys in masks, honestly, it's a little bit terrifying. It's a little bit terrifying. It's the thing that nightmares are made of, actually. But acting, when we take that word and we translate that word into English, you'll never guess what that word is in English. Hypocrite. Hypocrite. The word for actor in English is hypocrite. And so whenever we take a look and we read through scripture, and we see Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount, when he's talking and he says the word hypocrite, in all actuality, here's what he's really saying, actor, actor. Jesus in his sermon will talk about people hiding behind masks. And he says there's three ways, in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about three ways that he has seen actors at work. Way number one is the way they give to the needy. And then secondly, he talks about them praying to God and finally fasting from food. And Jesus says, sometimes in spirituality, you will see actors performing. I want to look at Jesus' words. If you have your Bible in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 2. Here's what Jesus says. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites, actors do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. The first thing I want you to notice about actors according to Jesus is this. These actors love fanfare. There's the sense of the trumpets and, and the fanfare that comes along with them. There are actors, they are spiritual actors, and they love to be seen with these trumpets playing. They love the fanfare. Then Jesus goes on, and he says this in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, the actors, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they might be seen by others. This time Jesus says, and here's the thing I want you to know about the acting guild. They are street performers. They are street performers. They love to stand out on the street corners or maybe in the synagogue as their theater and perform before people. So there's fanfare and then there's a stage, there's an audience. And finally, Jesus says this in chapter 6, verse 16. Listen to what he says. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites the actors do, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Jesus says not only do they have fanfare and not only do they have a stage, but they have props. They even have props. They go out, they make their faces look a certain way, they get the costume ready, and they get out there, and they look like they are broken before God in all actuality. They're just acting. And so Jesus lays it out. Now, when I hear this, it's pretty shocking to me, because when I think of Jesus, I think of how Jesus is portrayed in the movies. I think of Jesus, the kind Jesus, the warm Jesus, who's just there to kind of cuddle people and love people and be there for people. But what we see in Scripture is this other side of Jesus as well. The side of Jesus who's pointing and he's walking through. And I want you to imagine this. He's saying, actor, actor, actor. I want you to see the actors here. In fact, did you know in the New Testament, 17 times... The word hypocrite is used, actor, and every single time it's Jesus 
saying it. Actor. Presents a picture of Jesus that I'm not used to. Jesus says when it comes to spirituality, some worship is exaggerated by actors. When it comes to spirituality, some worship is exaggerated by actors. And I want you to know this, in 2,000 years, that's still sometimes the case. That Jesus says, when it comes to spirituality, sometimes people are playing a role. It's a performance. Today we're going to look at two kinds of people, two identities. Exaggerated spiritual acting versus elevated spiritual activity. Elevated spiritual activity and exaggerated spiritual acting. And the question is going to be for us, which one am I? Which one am I? Now, I got to tell you, before I go any further, I really struggled with this slide. I mean, really struggled with this slide. And here's why. This slide, I'm trying to portray a spiritual concept in a visual way. And it's fraught with problems. And I want to tell you what the problem is. One of the problems is this. When we look at this slide, we see, what we see is a guy, he's dressed really, really nice, and he's got his hands up like this, and he's worshiping God, and we're saying, that's wrong. And then we have this other guy, and this is a picture I grew up seeing in, in my grandparents' house, so I love this picture. Just remember in my grandparents' house, a man who's very humble, and he's praying for his meal, and we're saying, that's right. But here's what we want to say is that it's not about the way they're doing it. It's about the heart on the inside. I think the picture demonstrates a heart to us in a, in a way that's physical. But it's not really about the way he's standing or the, what he's wearing or all that. It has to do with the heart on the inside. Sometimes in our minds we get this idea that if I have my hands folded and I've, I've got my head bowed, that that's better, that's more elevated. Or other people might say, well, if, I, if I'm not doing it that way, if I'm doing it a different way, then that's more elevated. And I want you to see this in the scripture. Jesus doesn't go there. Jesus could, and I want you to know, 2,000 years ago, he still could have gone there because I promise you, the things that are going around today are still going around back then. But Jesus doesn't go there. Jesus goes here. He asks the question, who is your audience? Who is your audience? When you think about worship, who's the audience? And Jesus argues this, we are here for an audience of one. We are here for an audience of one. In fact, Jesus will take it internalized and say, when it comes to our heart, we are about worshiping God with our heart for an audience of one. An audience of one. You know, as humans living in this ordinary world, I think we really struggle with the applause and affirmation of human beings. We really like human beings to like us. We look for affirmation. We look for approval from human beings. And Jesus comes in and he says, can I tell you something? On this mountain, I want you to be elevated. Jesus says, come up to the mountain and look at the world from a different vantage point, a different perspective. Come live life beyond the ordinary. In the ordinary world, people focus on, on other people. But to be elevated, to be above that is to think about God and think about what God's interested in. 
You see, Jesus calls us to, to elevate our lives, elevate our spiritual activity. I guess here's what I'm trying to say. We should seek the approval of God rather than the applause of people. Isn't that true? We should seek the approval of God rather than the applause of people. Look at Scripture, what Jesus talks about. Let's look at it again. Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, one more time. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the actors do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. See what Jesus says? They have an audience, and it's called others. He, Jesus says, who's your audience? Who's your audience? Is your audience God or is your audience others? Look in verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the actors, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And finally, verse 16, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites or the actors. They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Jesus says, the problem is that they have an audience, and the audience is not God, it's people. There are people in this world who use spirituality to impress people. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. Now, this is not an, a, a new idea. Jesus is actually drawing from old passages of Scripture. If you look in Psalm 62, here's what Jesus says. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. Jesus is thinking about Scripture. I know Jesus is as he's talking through the Sermon on the Mount. He's got to come back to passages like this where he comes and he says, look, it's God alone. The only one I'm here to impress is God. The only one my focus to be is God. I'm not trying to impress everybody else. My focus is the Lord. Likewise, we should seek the approval of God over the applause and affirmation of people. That's the point. We should seek the approval of God over the applause and affirmation of people. Have you guys seen the movie The Truman Show? I don't know if you've seen it. Talk about great acting, by the way. The Truman Show, it, it's, a, it's an interesting movie. I would never say that Jim Carrey was a great actor, but the movie The Truman Show is a fascinating movie. If you don't remember it, in the movie, the kind of the concept is this. Truman lives in a world that has been created for him, this bubble, the world created all for Truman. You see, he was born in a bubble. Truman, when he was a little baby, and this is the way the story goes, when he was a little baby, they took him and they wanted to form a, a, a TV show, a sitcom, a soap opera around this individual. And so they put him in this world and he began to live his life. He's the only one who's real. Everyone else around him is an actor. Y'all remember this? And so he's walking along and there's cameras everywhere and every once in a while, you know, he'll be talking to people and he'll be looking at a camera and maybe he's shaving and he's looking at camera. He doesn't know it. Everybody else there is an actor. Now, one of those actors is his wife. And this is a fascinating thing in the story. They built in the story is this, that because the show is on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. They don't, have a, they don't have room for commercials, so they do a lot of product placement, if you remember the, in the movie. There's a lot of product placement. So he'll be talking to his wife, and he'll say, you know, I want, I'd like some cocoa. And she says, oh. And then she'll turn, and she'll face a camera that he can't see in their house, and she'll say, Mo Coco, it's delicious. 
And he's standing there and he's like, who are you talking to? It's so confusing. You know, he'll be talking to her and she'll just pull out this, this Ginsu knife and start advertising it to an audience who's not there. And Truman, who the world is kind of all around, it's all about him, is going, who are you talking to? I wonder if Jesus isn't kind of experiencing that same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. As he's talking, he's like, look, the world is about God. The world should be, it was created for God. It's around God. It's surrounded by God. And here people go to talk to God. They stand up. They say, we're here to talk to God. And as they pray and proclaim, Jesus is standing there going, who are you talking to? I know you're not talking to me. I know you're not talking to my father. You must be talking to somebody else. Who's, where's this audience at that you're talking to? Because you see, their focus is not on the Lord. And so Jesus has to say, actors, I am surrounded by actors. I don't know who they're talking to, but they're not talking to me. Actors. I guess this is what I've been trying to say is this. The house of worship should never be a theater house. The house of worship should never be a theater house. Christianity is not theater. And I don't know where, you know, when I say the house of worship, I'm talking about when you worship God. If it's here, if it's at your home, if it's in public, I want you to know this. The house of worship is not a theater house. Christianity is not theater. Because God calls us to be real. I think what God is saying to us through the Sermon on the Mount is this. It's time we take the masks off. It's time we step away from the applause and be okay just being in the presence of God and not caring and not worrying and not entertaining the world at the same time. As I say these words, I got to tell you, it dawns on me that there may be a couple of ways that people might hear this sermon. And one of the ways I think it would be easy to hear the sermon is to go, that's right. And everybody needs to stop doing that. Because that's what I do. When I hear a sermon like this and it says, hey, Christianity is not theater, I think about everyone else but me and say, you know what? You guys need to stop acting. But I think God's calling us to something else. I think God's calling us to look inward and ask the question, who is our audience? Is our audience him or is it someone else? If this hits you, that God is calling you to challenge yourself to think about who is, your, who is your worship for, then I imagine that just like me, there's a part of you that feels like this is very complex. You know, I've been worshiping God my whole life, and as I begin to question it, sometimes I notice that my worship's not for God, but it's for others. It's to maybe put on a show or maybe to show other people what, how spiritual I am or how good I am. And it leads me to ask this question, what's the secret to real worship? 
What's the secret? How do I worship God, truly worship God, the way Jesus Christ commands me to worship God? And here's what I want you to know in the text. The secret is to do it in secret. Look at what he says in the text. Join me in Matthew chapter 6. When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to the Father who's in secret. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, and then your fasting may not be seen by, your, by others, but by the Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He says over and over again, the secret to true worship is doing it in secret. Now that word secret can be translated inward. Because here's what I do when I read these passages and he says, hey, if you want to pray to me, go in your closet, then I think, boy, I can't, I can't pray at church anymore. I mean, that's where my mind goes. I'm not allowed to pray at church anymore. I'm not allowed to do a public prayer. I can't pray at the dinner table because Jesus says, go to my closet. No, what Jesus is saying is this, do it inward in secret. In other words, when I'm standing there before a group of people, imagine me standing before a group of people, I have to take myself out of that circumstance and put myself at the throne room of the king. I have to separate myself from that moment. It's suddenly, it's just me and God alone. Is it possible to be in the presence of people and go inward to a secret hidden place where God alone is my audience? And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, when you're talking to me, when you're fasting, when you're, when you're praying, when you're giving, come to that place where it's just you and I. It's called outward acts done inwardly. And here's the problem with outward acts is so often it's common, it's ordinary for outward acts to be done outwardly as acting. And Jesus says, no, when your outward acts are done, do them inwardly with me. Do them with me. Now, Jesus gives us three examples. And so very quickly, what we want is we want to ask the question, what would these three examples look like in our life? He says there's three ways this is done. One is with giving to the needy, secondly, with praying to God, and thirdly, fasting from food. So I want you to think very quickly with me about prayer. How would your prayer life be this week as if you separated yourself from all that was going on and you went to that inward spot where it was just you and the Lord? Can you imagine as I'm sitting here, standing here praying with you, if I believed that although we're together and there's things I may say for, for our mutual benefit, that at the end of the day, I'm talking to the Lord, what would my prayers look like? You know, I think sometimes preachers have a tendency when they're praying to say things that God already knows. Have you noticed this? So a preacher may get up and say, you know, God, it's like you said in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. We actually talk to God as if he's in third person. We quote scripture to him. 
That's not necessarily wrong, but I think if we change our motivation in a prayer to say, you know what, when I'm talking to God, there's no words that are just words for the sake of words. I'm actually talking to God. I'm communicating with Him. When I'm at the dinner table and I say a phrase, maybe it's a phrase I grew up hearing. One of the phrases I grew up hearing was, guide, guard, and direct me. Guide, guard, and direct me. There's nothing wrong with the phrase, but when it becomes empty words, it's just because I'm doing it. Coming back and saying, what is the reason for the words? Why do I say that? Why do I say that? To really develop and harness that relationship with God, I want to connect to Him. This week, can I challenge you in your prayer to make it just you and Him one-on-one? To make it you and Him. Here's another idea. When you're giving, Jesus says, hey, give. Don't make a big spectacle about it. Don't make a spectacle. You know, sometimes giving can be a photo op. I go out to the children's home of Lubbock. I want to serve the kids. It's a great photo op. Jesus is not saying never go to the children's home. Jesus is not saying never go to a place and serve people where people are taking pictures. That's not what he's saying. He's saying when you're there, make it about you and me. Will you make it about us? I tell you, if I took Jesus' words literally, that our reward in heaven isn't there when we receive reward on earth, can you imagine what my giving would look like? Could, I, could you imagine if someone walked up to me and said, hey, Chris, man, we appreciate what the well did. We're going to put that on the front page of the newspaper, you guys' service. And I said in response, don't do that. We don't want to lose our spiritual reward. So God calls us and he says, look, when you give, remember why you do it. It's for me. And finally, I want to mention fasting. Why do we fast? Why do we we self-sacrifice? So often we do it because we truly are in desperate need of God. And Jesus says, when you're in desperate need of me, will you just come and give yourself to me? Guys, there's no benefit in me fasting and giving up a meal so you could see me giving up a meal. But to really come before the Lord. And so Jesus says, when you fast, when you self-sacrifice, when you give up, do it for him. Do it for Jesus. Three examples, three ways this week we can give ourselves fully to him. I want to challenge you this week, either in prayer or in giving or in self-sacrifice, if that looks like fasting for you, that this week you will do something for the Lord just between you and Him. To drop the mask, to step away from the applause, and do it because you love the Lord. How would it change the world? How would it change you if He became your primary focus? That's the question we're asking today. If you need anything from this body, we are here to serve you today. We want you to grow in him as we are growing in him. But won't you come now as we stand and as we sing together?